So I titled this series, Who We Are in Christ. And in our first sermon last week, chapter 1, we learned that uh, we are heirs. We are heirs to the inheritance of eternal life, which God prepared for us before the world was ever created. And Paul uses the touching analogy of adoption there in chapter 1 to describe how God has brought us into his family. And he says that we are adopted as sons. And his reference was to the fact that in the ancient culture, only male children could be heirs of the father's estate. So when a male child was adopted, he was immediately made an heir of the father's estate. And Paul's point being that in Christ, God adopts us just like sons were adopted in that culture. Meaning that when we are adopted, we are made heirs of the Father's estate. We are made heirs to the inheritance, the eternal life that God has for us. Something that God has planned before the world was created. Paul says that he predestined that in Christ we would be adopted and made heirs of the inheritance of eternal life. Now today we're going to move on to the second chapter of Ephesians. And we're going to talk about how in Christ we are alive. And what that means to us as we live in this present world. I'd like to read with you Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1 and reading through verse 10. Paul writes, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that one could boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you today desiring to understand more clearly what it means to be alive in Christ. Help us to hear your word, to apply it in our lives. Help us to be more grateful, more thankful, more appreciative and give you glory for all that you have done for us in Christ. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. In uh, 2001, there was a movie that was released, and it starred Nicole Kidman. And the movie was titled, The Others. Anyone ever seen that movie? One person. <laughs> I was never uh, really very interested in ghost stories, and yet that's what this movie was supposed to be about. 
And there was something about it that caught my interest, and so I decided I would rent the movie and, and watch it. And the gist of the story is that there is this woman and her two children who live in this house. It's during World War II, and the husband and father has gone off to war and has been killed. And they're alone in the house. And for some reason, they have a physical malady uh, which causes them to... Uh, to need to avoid the sunlight. And so they, they live in the house, it's pretty dark, they keep the curtains pulled. And one morning, the woman wakes up from an, a nightmare. And at that point, going forward, strange things are going on in the house. They start hearing noises. They start hearing voices. They hear the piano playing. They find the curtains have been opened up. And they finally decide that the house is being haunted. The others are there. Now, there are a lot of little details in this movie. I'm not going to go into all of it. But it begins to unwind. You begin to see the pieces open up and come apart and unravel. And by the time you get to the end of the movie, you learn the truth. And the truth is, it is the mother and the two children who are the ghosts. They thought they were alive, but they were dead. Paul tells us, we were dead in our sins. Now it's hard for us as humans to grasp that we could exist in two worlds. It sounds sort of like science fiction, doesn't it? Sort of like parallel universes. And yet, in reality, we do live in two worlds. We are flesh, but we are also spirit. Now the flesh, this body, is temporal. <coughs> Peter says in 1 Peter 1.21, as he quotes Isaiah, he says, all flesh is like grass. All their glory is like the wild flower. The grass withers and the flower falls. Genesis 3.19 reminds us that we came from dust, and to dust we will return. The Bible says that God created us in His image. And it says that God is spirit. And it says that He made us from the dust and He breathed into us life. The breath of life. That's the spirit. We are flesh. But this flesh has been given a spirit. James says that without the spirit, the body is dead. It is the spirit in us that is life. It's not this body. This body is a temporary abode of the spirit that God put into us when he created us. Yes, we are flesh. But our life is in the spirit. When Paul says that we were dead in our transgressions and sin, he's talking about the Spirit. Romans 3.23 says that for the wages of sin is death. And he's not talking about the body. Because the body is like the grass. We came from dust, we'll go back to dust. The wages of sin is spiritual death. Sin kills the spirit. 
Now, I'm going to step back a little bit here and, and do something parenthetical. It's sort of a little sermonette within the sermon. When it comes to uh, understanding scriptures, we need to be careful. Because there is not one of us, nor has there ever been one of us, who is infallible. What do I mean? I mean there are things in Scripture that are simply difficult to understand. And when, and when we think we do, and then we condemn anyone who doesn't see it exactly like we do, we're treading on dangerous ground. We are all imperfect. Thus, our understanding is imperfect. We might be right, but we might be wrong. And my friends, the church of God is splintered into thousands of we've got it right and you've got it wrong little groups. That all those doctrines, all those teachings that we think we have right and everybody else has wrong, those are not the things that bring us under the grace of God. There's only one thing that brings us under the grace of God, and that is Jesus. He gave His life to pay the debt for our sin. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. When we believe that, when we accept that, when we put our faith in that, God wraps us in the righteous robes of Jesus and puts us under His grace. And He saves us. And He gives us eternal life in His presence. So now why am I talking about this? Why am I bringing this up? Because Paul says we were dead in our sins. We may still be alive in our bodies, but our spirit is as good as dead because of sin. Now here's where our imperfect understanding can get involved. You see, there are those who will argue adamantly till they're red in the face and point to scriptures which seem to back up their point of view and seem to say that the spirit this spirit in us is immortal and that spiritual death means that at judgment we will be eternally separated from the presence of God we will be in hell because the spirit doesn't die it's going to live forever and it's going to be in hell but there are others who say and give scriptures to say seem to say the same thing that only God is immortal and that spiritual death means that when the judgment comes the spirit will cease to exist one of my friends either way it's bad (laughs) now I know what I believe But honestly, whether I'm right or wrong on this particular point, 
<clears throat> doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. What matters is that I am found in Christ. That's what matters. So why do I want to divide myself from some everybody else? Because we don't believe a little point exactly the same. When the only point we need to believe together is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. What matters is if I'm found in Christ because only in Christ, only in Christ am I alive. Only in Christ will this mortal put on immortality. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. So I'm sorry for the little sidestep there, but let's get back to the teaching. Paul says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now sin. When we think about sin, we usually think about it in terms of bad things we have done. And maybe we think, well, I haven't really done anything all that bad. I mean, I haven't murdered anyone. I haven't robbed anyone. And we, we kind of, for the most part, equate sin with egregious activity. But sin has a much finer point. The word in the Greek is harmatia. It is an archery term. And it describes shooting an arrow at the target and missing the mark. Close, but you miss the mark. That's sin. If you're not dead sinning, if you're not dead on, it is sin. It's kind of like the difference between getting across the railroad track before the train hits you and almost getting across the track before the train hits you. It's not like horseshoes. You don't get credit for being close. Sin is anything less than perfect. If we miss the mark of perfection in anything, our thoughts, our actions, our attitudes, it is sin. Paul writes in Romans 3, all have sinned at a point in time. All have sinned. All have missed the mark. And fall, and that word fall has continuing action. For all have sinned and continually fall short of the glory of God. We continually miss the mark. And we're told in Revelation... Speaking of heaven, nothing, nothing impure will ever enter there. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Where does that leave us? Because of our sin, our spirit is dead. Because of our sin, we have no hope for eternal life. Because of our sin, we are the object of God's wrath towards sin. But then, there's this word. 
And the word is love. But, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. We go back to last week. In Christ we are heirs. Heirs because God adopted us into his family. And what was the key word? Paul wrote, in love he predestined us to be adopted as sons. Love is what makes the difference. So again, Paul tells us God acted in love toward us. And that love (coughs) changes everything. We were dead in our sins and transgressions. Our spirit was as good as dead. And if it stayed that way, when we came to God, when we come to God, at the judgment time, His wrath will be enacted upon our spirit. And it will die. And whether you want to believe it dies and it stays eternally in hell, or if you want to believe that it dies and is gone, it doesn't make any difference. But God, who is rich in mercy, God who loved us, He made us alive. In Christ. The mother and two children in that movie, they thought they were alive, but they were dead. That is where we are without Christ. We may be living in our flesh, we may think we have a full life, we may think we have a lifetime ahead of us. But if we are not in Christ, our spirit is dead in the eyes of God. And when judgment comes, our spirit will succumb to the wrath of God towards sin. His justice will be handed down, and our spirit will be eternally dead. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. Because of his great love toward us, he chose to bring us back to life. He chose to make us alive even when we were dead. He chose to do this in Christ. If we accept the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for our sins, God puts us in Christ. And this act of love by God is called Grace. Paul continues, It is by grace you have been saved. Grace. Now we've talked about this in the past, and, but let me just hit it one more time. Grace is not God giving us what we don't deserve. That's what we've always been told about grace. I remember growing up hearing that. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. But the truth is, grace is God giving us what we do deserve. 
we don't deserve it because of anything we've done. We don't deserve it because of anything we'll ever do. We don't deserve it because of our good works. We don't deserve it because we try to be nice people and good people. And We deserve the inheritance of eternal life because that's what God planned for us before the foundation of the world. Before He ever created the world, before He ever created us, He planned for us to have eternal life. That's why we were created. That we could have eternal life with Him. That's what He wanted. That's what He planned. God knew sin would come. Before the world was created, before He created us, He knew that sin would come and He knew that sin would steal our inheritance. He knew that sin would make us slaves. He knew that sin would be our masters. And so again, before the world was created, before we were created, because He wanted us to have the inheritance of eternal life, God set out to buy us back. And He did it through Christ. He planned before it all came about to redeem us. He wanted us to have eternal life. He created us for it. Sin took it away from us. He gives it back to us in Christ. He redeems us. That's what redeems means, to buy back. In Christ, God gives us what He intended us to have, eternal life. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that one should boast. It's a gift. But a gift must be accepted. Grace must be accepted. And the only way we can accept grace is if we are in Christ. So how do we accept it? We place our faith in the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross. We cannot earn it. It is a gift to those who are in Christ Jesus. And when he says there in verse 8, we are saved through faith and this is not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. He is not saying faith is the gift of God. He is saying salvation is the gift of God. Faith is the response of the will to God's offer of salvation. Our faith is our belief in and our acceptance of Jesus' sacrifice for our sins. We accept that Jesus paid the debt. For the wages of sin is death, and Jesus paid the wages. Salvation is the gift of God. 
not by works, that no one should boast. Good works do not save us. Good works do not pay the debt of sin because the debt of sin is death. Good works is not death. The only, the only way to pay sin for sin is death. There was a man on death row who murdered a child. But years went by before he was ever apprehended, tried, found guilty, and sentenced to die. And on the day of his execution, the judge was there and the man pleaded that even though he did kill someone, he had spent his whole life doing good. He'd spent the rest of his life helping people, trying to make up for the terrible thing that he had done. But the judge said, I know what you've done, but what you have done does not change what you did. The good you have done does not bring back the life you took. The debt you owe is death. Good works cannot, do not save us. They do not pay the debt of sin. And so because of His great love for us, God paid the debt for us. By giving His Son to die on the cross of Calvary, Jesus took our sin on Himself. The, the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, God made Him, meaning Jesus, God made Him to, who had no sin to be sin so that in Him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took our sin and he nailed it to the cross. He paid the debt. When I think about this, my mind goes back to chapter 1 and that opening, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So what then is the value of good works? Verse 10, Paul says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Before the creation of the world, God had an inheritance prepared for us. Before the creation of the world, He planned to adopt us. He planned to buy us back. Make us his family. Before the creation of the world, he planned to pay the debt of our sin so that we could have the inheritance. And he planned all that to be accomplished in Christ. And with all he planned to accomplish for us in Christ, he also planned before the creation of the world what we would do as his children. He planned what we would do as those he had recreated in Christ. That's why we are His workmanship. He recreated us in Christ. And what did He plan? Good works. His good works. 
Now, I need you to listen kind of carefully here. He says He created us in Christ Jesus to do good works. Now, we have tendencies in the church. We have two tendencies in particular. Two things that we tend to focus on and just make more important than anything else. The first is attending church and reading your Bible. I kind of put those two together. Attending church and reading your Bible. We really focus on that, how important that is, and we sort of judge one another as to whether or not we're doing those things. That's sort of, in our minds, we sort of measure other people's spirituality as to whether or not they're doing those things. Now, we should attend church. Paul reminds us that we shouldn't forsake our assembling of ourselves together because we need to do that to encourage one another and to build one another up. And we should read our Bible because it will teach us the things that it will help us mature in our walk with Christ. (coughs) We take those things and we kind of hold them over everybody and we sort of judge them by whether or not they're really doing those things. And the second (coughs) tendency we have that we focus on is all the things we decide we should not do as followers of Christ. And so we create both expressed and unspoken a list of rules. <coughs> and we make this the criteria by which we decide if we are being good Christians. We have a little checklist of rules. And we look at other people and we check off the list. Are they doing that? Are they doing that? And we decide because of our list of rules that we have whether or not they're really being good Christians. Where does it say that we are created in Christ Jesus to go to church? Where does it say that we are created we are created in Christ Jesus to read the Bible? Where does it say that we are created in Christ Jesus to follow a list of rules? It says we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared for us to do. What is the greatest work? What is God? God is love. What does He want from us? To love. Jesus said, when asked what's the greatest commandment, He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, by this shall, all, shall everyone know that you are my disciples, that you have what? Love for one another. When we are living the love of God, we will do the very things God has planned for us to do. If we're living the love of God, we're we're going to be in church because we want to grow. We want to help others. We want to encourage others. So we'll be there. And we'll read our Bible because we want to grow and we want to mature so that we can 
lead a closer walk with him so that we can lead others to a closer walk with him because of his love. And all those rules that we worry, worry about, if we are loving people, we'll do the things that God wants us to do. We won't do the things that God doesn't want us to do. Because we're living in love. We're walking in love. We're loving God and we're loving others. That's the work that He set out for us to do. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared for us to do. When we are in Christ, we are alive. Alive to do the works of Him who gave us life in His Son. A few years ago, I participated in a funeral of a lovely lady, relatively young, who died. She was a very godly woman, very involved in the church, very involved in people's lives, living out the Christian walk, living in love. I wrote, I wrote this to share at that funeral. Our God is like a gardener, and we are the seeds he plants. In the fertile ground of his creation, we take root and grow. With gentle love, he tends to us, feeding, watering, pruning, until the flower lifts its head for a brief but beautiful moment in time. But the plant is fragile, and the elements begin to take their toll. In another moment, the flower fades, the stem weakens, and the petals fall. Yet, the faithful gardener is not finished. Reaching down, he sifts the silent flower, and there from its darkened petals he takes back the seed of life. And in his hand he carries it into his house where it forever grows with beauty before unknown. In Christ, the seed of life is alive. Heavenly Father, <coughs> thank you. We praise you for giving us back life, for taking us in Christ and making us alive. So that when that time comes and this body fades and leaves, the spirit that you put in us will still be alive and will live eternally with you. Thank you, Father, for doing what we could never, ever do for ourselves, for taking our sin and giving us back 
our life. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name. Amen. We have a song of indication, invitation, a song of dedication. I invite you to stand and sing it with us. It's in your bulletin there. If you feel that you need to make some kind of decision for Christ today, maybe a rededication of your life, a recommitment, we invite you to do that. Let's stand and sing. Oh, to Jesus.